Welcome everyone to the Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. What are you looking at, Rough Road? Punisher podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 201, Roadhouse Blues, is brought to you by Lola's Roadhouse. Come alone, I'll find you, and don't you dare shoot Beth. Well, Pete, here we are, so happy to be kicking off season two of The Punisher. This, of course, a series that we deemed for the first season the best single season of Marvel TV, at least in our eyes. And, uh, if any indication from this first episode, things are really off to a great start. Not only picking up Punisher, started back with uh, season two of Star Trek Discovery. They they seem kind of linked in terms of the time that they, they come back on. Just finished up with Runaways and aching to bring all of these to you. It is this weird pairing having watched episode 201 of star trek discovery and within 12 hours watching episode 201 of the punisher no phasers in this show pete that's how i keep track of which show we're watching so here we are with punisher 201 we will continue here with punisher episodes coming to you every sunday every wednesday every friday uh star trek discovery will come your way episode 201 tomorrow saturday January 19th. Plenty of content. Oh, yeah, and we'll wind up sprinkling in some uh, God Frenemy towards the end of the Punisher run as well. But, Matt, let's talk about this episode of The Punisher. The episode starts with a tight close-up on a bloody Frank Castle driving his van. He's being chased, and there's a woman in the passenger seat. Suddenly, he's boxed in by another car. Women get out, guns trained on him, he shoots at them, throwing the van in reverse. The credits play, showing the episode is written by Steve Lightfoot and directed by Jim O'Hanlon. Cut to a tight close-up on a guitar being played. Times are changing here at Lola's Roadhouse and maybe elsewhere, too. A calm and decidedly unbloody Frank Castle is enjoying a beer, one beer at a time. A blonde woman, the one who will end up in the van, snarls at Frank for looking at her. He barely did. Time passes and she's sitting by herself with her Sprite and Frank is back at the bar. A man, Johnny, is rough with the bartender, a lady with tattoos that Johnny wants to know better. He calls her a name and Frank talks back to him. A thrown punch and a smashed beer bottle later and Johnny is thrown out on his butt. Proprietor Ringo is ready to throw out Frank too, but the bartender vouches for him. She's Beth. He's, uh, Pete. Elsewhere in the bar, the blonde woman makes a call. Elsewhere entirely, a bloodied man is tied to a chair in his underwear. His captor wears a suit. Konchevsky perhaps gets a call. The blonde woman says she works, worked for Fiona, the late Fiona. Turns out they all were killed for knowing. The woman wants out and money to run. She's in Michigan, Lola's roadhouse. The suited man asks Sergei, the beaten man, about Providence. Not Rhode Island, but the idea of fate. This woman disappeared, and now she's back. Problem solved, and now it's time for Sergei to get his peace, courtesy of being choked to death. Back at Lola's roadhouse, Beth questions Pete, a.k.a. Frank. He's vague on details, staying at the motel, happy to help, leaving tomorrow morning. Does he want another drink? No. With her, he'd like that. 
They walk to the parking lot, and she wants to make sure he's not a jerk. He's ready to call it a night and head back to his room alone. She wants him in her truck. They leave, and the blonde walks by in the background, walks into a motel room door, and jimmies it open. It's 2.21 in the morning. At Beth's place, she's got a collection of guitars on the wall, and she's pouring drinks for the two of them. Cheers. She reflects on her life thus far. Some guitars, some clothes, something had to change. Rex reads the room and wonders if she has a boy. She does, Rex, age eight. Is that a problem, she asks? Frank says no. She says Rex is the best thing that happened to her. And what about him? He's short on details, but there's no porch light left on for him somewhere else. Then the two of them are close, then kissing, then closer still. The camera work is close, too, in a way that's passionate but not flowery. Beth notices the ring on Frank's necklace. His wife died in an accident, he says, and the two talk, both tender intimacy and some tender distance. Turns out neither feels lonely right now. She's glad Pete came into the bar. He opens up, saying he's actually Frank. It's to protect some people, keep everyone out of trouble. But he wanted to be honest. He promises his past won't come to her front door. All right, Frank. Hello, Frank. She's ready to take the good when it comes. Yeah, he thinks. He reflects on the merry-go-round, his wife, his dead children, his betrayal by Billy Russo. In the morning, Frank quietly dresses and is ready to leave. He sees Rex downstairs and keeps a distance. Beth finds them and explains that this is a friend who needed a place to stay, but he's leaving. Rex is hungry, though, and there's no food. Frank treats them to pancakes at Donatello's. It's a happy proto-family scene. Rex wonders if they're getting married. That's a no. He's wondering if they had sex last night. It's time to change the topic to hockey. Frank's son played hockey. There's a glance between Frank and Beth. Frank doesn't get to see his son the way he'd like to. Back at the motel, it's 8 a.m., and Frank wants to say goodbye like an adult. If he's ever back this way again, he'll call. Beth says the band will play again tonight. Frank returns to room 29, and the camera makes it seem like the blonde woman is inside. Instead, she's away down from Frank, but bumps into him, literally. Is she okay? That night at Lola's bar, the band plays. Beth pours, and Ringo watches. The blonde woman is back, too, looking on edge. Frank, about to leave town, ends up back at the bar as well. He smiles at Beth from afar, and she smiles back a bit. He jokes that he's back for the band. He thought it would be a shame to miss out. A bit later, some heavies come in through the back, and Frank senses them immediately. The camera stays with a toughie, a woman, and the blonde sees her, making a beeline for the bathroom. The blonde tries to leave through the window, but she's pulled back in. A man protects the door, telling Frank, who is playing drunk, that someone in there is getting sick. Frank headbutts him and then takes on the male goon and two female goons. The fight is quick, sharp, brutal. No fancy long take here, no gentlemanly digression for the fairer sex. Instead, the bad Frank takes on the badder goons. The man is dispatched much quicker than the ladies with a closing blow from the blonde. She's ready to run, but Frank growls at her to fess up. Why is he helping? He's just a someone who couldn't stay out of trouble and there's more people like those goons out there. Finally, she asks for help. Please. In the bar, Frank starts to walk her out, then gets found out. Frank takes them two at a time, though Ringo throws one to the ground. 
He's knifed for his troubles. The scene descends into violence, the camera keeping our eyes on Frank and the blonde. We see Beth loading up a sawed-off shotgun frantically. Ringo gets shot, and Beth is ready to shoot, but catches a bullet for her troubles. The bullets start to fly liberally. Frank is grazed, and when the music stops, there is a lot of dead goons. Behind the bar, the blonde lives, and Beth bleeds from a shoulder wound. He's going to get her out of there. Cut to Frank's van, the blonde in the passenger seat, now revealed that Beth is in the back. They get boxed in, and Frank shoots at them, then backs up into the other car. He shoots its occupants, too. The blonde is ready to run, but Frank keeps her in the van. They're headed to the nearest hospital. Paramedics take her inside, saying the cops will be called, that the man, Frank, must stay put. The blonde asks, now what? And Frank gets in the car. Back in the bar, a man picks through the wreckage. The suited man finds Frank's wedding ring. A balding lackey, a lieutenant, is told to call the turf war and to sweep it up, metaphorically. One of the lady goons has found the blonde's bag. The laptop they wanted is in there. But what about the pictures? Subtitles call the man Pilgrim, who watches footage from the fight. Frank is called a dog off his leash. Someone will know him, and we see Agent Dina Madani elsewhere, hearing Pilgrim say someone will be able to help find them. Madani is drinking at a hospital, looking at the masked face of a healing man. We know it's Billy Russo, and there are corrections officers watching the room. Back inside, Jigsaw wakes up. But the story returns to Frank and the blonde on the road driving. Will there be more of them, she asks. He hopes so, Frank answers, driving off into the night. Well, Pete, let's turn now to talk villains in the episode. Where should we begin in an episode that, of course, is filled with baddies from top to bottom? Yeah, let's begin with a minor uh, villain here, Matt. This one I'm calling a-hole the guy who really got none too uh nice with beth early on um the the patron turned uh moron pete but he's uh being emasculated etc etc no i think that it's an opportunity for the show to maybe have a little bit of a reminder to to its audience and to um to the grown-ups watching that uh you should always be respectful talking to members of the opposite sex members of the same sex members of indeterminate sex whatever the situation might be and uh he pete i, I don't want to suggest that you deserve to get uh your face smashed against a bar but i think he escalated things to a point where he got what was coming for him he did he's lucky he didn't get it from frank is uh where we naturally thought it was going to go instead uh ringo uh, R.I.P. Ringo, by the way, uh, the bouncer, um, gone too soon and gone brutally at that. But yeah, you want to make times with a uh, a, a nice looking uh, barkeep? Don't be a jerk about it. And then when you're a jerk about it and escalate it to calling her names after she's not interested to your awesome pickup line about licking tattoos. Um, yeah, be a gentleman. Uh, be like Fantastic Geek. <laughs> there you go. Fantastic gentleman, if you will. Uh, Pete, next on the list surely must be Pilgrim. Not spoken aloud in the episode is his name, but it is shown there on subtitles. So even my spoiler-free eyes can can call him Pilgrim. Kind of an uber bad guy for the episode, if you will. 
Yeah, and we don't fully have his backstory and everything, obviously. Punisher is at its best in two conditions. When there's a slow burn and with brutal violence. And this episode hits both of those so squarely. Steve Lightfoot here, our showrunner, our writer, um, you know, teeing this one up to start the season. And with the Pilgrim character here, uh, love the affectation when he's choking Sergei out that uh, seems like he's a prayer. Um, it was not clear to me, Matt, did he leave the, the cross on his victim? Did his victim have the cross on him already? It certainly did seem a little unclear to me, uh, watching as well. I think that what's so interesting about Pilgrim's place in the story is, I like that Pilgrim's Place. Pilgrim's, there you go. Pizza spinoff that Netflix could. <laughs> oh, 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 Netflix is getting out of the Marvel business. Well, you know what? We'll catch you in two years when whoever makes it across the finish line over to Disney Plus. But I digress, Pete. Uh, Pilgrim's Place here in the story, it's it's almost kind of an old fashioned gumshoe, uh, Mickey Spillane kind of story here in that. Frank Castle is just a guy, and then now there's this larger thing pulling him into it, much of much as the gumshoes of old would get hired for a case, and then you realize it's got all these connections and whatnot. And does Pilgrim have a boss? Sure, but he's the one pushing the action here. He's the one who, you know, in that one scene there with Sergey, we know Pilgrim's lethal nature. He's calling other lethal people, and uh, something tells me we're going to see more of him. I like Josh Stewart's take that we've gotten just far. And again, we're just talking about one episode at this point, even though I've seen a little bit more. Um, the only thing would have made Pilgrim better for me, Matt, is if he had the full on, we went full Pilgrim buckle hat. Okay. <laughs> Broad brimmed buckle hat, possibly a murderous Turkey as a sidekick. Gobble, gobble. Well, Pete, regardless of how Pilgrim would be dressed, something tells me Sergey would a bit at the end there. Question for you, Pete. Is Sergey part of the collusion conspiracy? Uh, definitely not. There is no collusion. Uh, that's what Rudy Giuliani's saying. And so, wait, hang on. I'm getting an email now from Rudy Giuliani. No, there was collusion within the campaign. Whatever, Rudy, lose my email. Um, Sergey here that we get this beaten up Russian. Um, what a metaphor for our times, Matt, that, that, that there would be someone from the other superpower tied up in a chair, uh, lectured by somebody operating out of the fundamentalist Christian right. And, um, to pay the price for his misdeeds at their hands. You know, what, what kind of strange fiction are they writing here? <laughs> well, I can't help but think of, you know, the, the similarities in season one, the similarities to events in the real world, some of them twisted around or, or placed in different uh, proximity or perspective. But uh, this is a show that 
could so easily be. And then the jerk got thrown into a wood chipper, and it was really cool when they ran you know, oatmeal through a fan and made it look like, you know, blood and gristle. Instead, you know, it's a show that's not short on violence, but it is also not short on saying what it wants to say about our world, what there from the, uh, you know, from the MCU. Pete, let's turn our attention now to this gang of uh, young, attractive assassins. I'm not quite sure what the best category is to put them in. They could use guns, Pete, but no, no, no guns. No shots. Uh, until they started shooting. <laughs> so I wasn't quite sure. I, I want that uh, discussed eventually, uh, and I, I think we will get it. But these these knife-wielding youths here, some of them uh, female, some of them male, uh, all of them deadly. And kudos to the show. It's 2019, obviously made in 2018, uh, you have eventually in that bathroom fight, that amazing bathroom fight, you have uh, the one guy who was originally guarding the door and then the two uh, female baddies that were in there. Uh, the worst fighter there is the guy for hire. The two women, the show is not shy about having Frank Castle hit a woman because I think in this context, it's less about her being a woman and more about her being, I don't know, a trained assassin. And... They put up a darn good fight. Uh, the, the guy does to a lesser degree, but that is an amazing fight. And Pete, for as amazing as, you know, Daredevil, five-minute uncut, Daredevil, 11-minute uncut, I'm not quite sure that I don't enjoy this more than the Daredevil Season 3 showpiece fight because it was so rough and tumble and like, oh my goodness, that stunt guy's head really, really did just hit yeah. that stunt sink, but that was a real head and a real sink, paper mache as it might be. High praise indeed. I mean, it did cross my mind uh, many times during the bathroom fight. We've taken uh, TV shows, we've taken Marvel TV shows to task. Oh, boys fight boys and girls fight girls. Um, but I think the thing that sells this fight and makes it acceptable because you got to think, too, that John Bernthal is a guy who manages the image of this character very, very well. It's very important to him. And that the women are armed and he is not in the fight levels it, if that makes sense. Because um, there are some brutal hits that get delivered there, uh, courtesy of Castle, to these women and that there's more of them, there's one of him. I mean, you know, the the gender ethics of this fight matter, um, regardless of this fictional thing. And yes, I, I know we're we're tuning in for the the beat 'em up, shoot 'em up, Marvel, not quite superhero. But at the same time, we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater to the discussion of where we are in two thousand. 19 2018 as you said when it was filmed and in how this is perceived and i think they handled it delicately and it came across brutally and both were done well i have to think too even behind the scenes i mean what must it be like for these female stunt players who time and time again have been like all right you know girl fight girl scene or you know do stuff off to the side where 
you get that call sheet or that stunt breakdown or whatever the particulars are. And it's like, hey, I'm going toe to toe with John Bernthal in the scene. And, you know, and for most of the scene, too, it's just as a production, as a fiction, as both a gender message and a gender non-message in that I think there's a certain degree where gender is not a factor in that fight. It's just a great fight with proof on screen, Pete, that the best people lasted longest in the fight and guy guarding the door wasn't just guarding the door because it was the ladies' room. It's because he kind of was the worst one of the three to go handle a fight. Yeah, he sucked. Uh, and then you have the character I refer to as Stabby Lady, what turned Ringo into a pincushion there, you know, in the gut, in the side, swinging around up on his shoulder, you know, brutal, efficient, fun to watch. Um, if, if a fight, you know, it's, it's hard to square that again, you know, that you could do that. And several times watching this episode in particular, when that woman, you know, went around and she's up around his neck now stabbing him. I was like, whoa. There's such narrative efficiency with the little character of Ringo, who's a big character, if you will. Um, you know, he, he's only in a couple of scenes. And what do we quickly learn about him? He's ready to stomp your head if you're out of line. But the minute that you're told, the minute that he is told, hey, this guy is OK, he's actually not out of line. All right, Ringo just wants to sit, sit at the bar, make sure things are cool, have some chicken, have a beer, um, and to just have him brutally knifed like that, it was a painful moment, uh, but then also one of kind of, you know, great story clarity and story, uh, just honestly good action, even though I felt bad to see old Ringo go. And continuing um, to fight on, though he's been stabbed now, and now he's staggering and, you know... The, the bathroom and then that we spill back out into the rest of the roadhouse and what goes down there just tremendously blocked. Well, and part of what goes down there is another villain, the one that shoots Beth. I'll tell you, man, you don't mess with Beth. OK, and then Beth got the old uh, sawed off ready to go. And my concern, because we begin this episode in the middle of the chase later on with uh, some other youths that uh, weren't at that scene that wind up coming after him um, was no Beth. Does she make it? Um, and that she was in the back seat all along. And we didn't know that in that early scene, the scene shown to us first, um, you know, again, with that narrative efficiency and you're wondering, you know, what happens? Where does she go? Have they already dropped her off at the hospital? No, they're on the on the way there when that happens. And, uh, you know, that that woman who turned on her and uh, shot her in the shoulder. Just hope Beth pulls through. Well, good news, Pete. Two shots anywhere means you're dead. One shot somewhere. You could be in trouble. Shot to the shoder. Come on, drop her off at the nearest hospital. It's two lefts and a right and she'll be a OK. Um, but. Yeah, just to, to circle back to what you said regarding that, you know, the camera cheated, the camera lied. It showed us the two people in the beginning and then the, the revelation that a barely conscious Beth is in the back was just a really nice way to tell things in terms of us becoming invested in her and all of a sudden realizing that we're headed back to that, uh, back to that beginning. Pete, anybody else on this list? Oh, villains. Character I'm referring to as Bad Lieutenant. Why? He's so bad. 
because they call him lieutenant and we know that he's bad that that pilgrim has some police on the payroll here that there is corruption going on we've We've seen it most principally in Daredevil. Um, Luke Cage had some corruption as well. But here we bring this up again. And is it a cliche? It is. It's an acceptable cliche. This world that Pilgrim is inhabiting and how the young lady with Frank is embroiled in it. And now that he's become involved in it as this unleashed dog uh and pilgrim through this bad lieutenant anxious to find out whose dog he is pete let's talk some theories coming out of this episode part of that narrative uh efficiency kept returning casts the characters dina madani and of course jigsaw the forthcoming jigsaw kept them to the very very end of the episode madani looking so mournful so sad TV code as she swigs that booze is times are troubled, uh, troubled. Maybe there's a little bit too much alcohol in the situation. Why is Agent Dina Madani so low, Pete? Well, there we've got uh, Billy the Butte um, Russo with the mask on. I need something in the coming episodes to explain why the mask, that mask looks entirely too sty- uh, stylized for a hospital setting. I need, well, we had to do this because of this and this and yes. So it looks like it's a, it's a broken mask, but it's to help him heal. And doctor psychology said he needed it. What to heal his heart. Right. Like, cause it looks like what a bad guy would want to make his mask look like right now. So maybe she's drinking because of that. Huh, you guys couldn't have done a better job with just coming up with a with a white mask and we could make it comic booky later on. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with the mask for the character. I have a problem with the mask for the character right now. Totally agree there. Pete, will we return to life here in Michigan? You know, season one, we had essentially episode 101 was not quite a pilot, but certainly largely standalone as it wrapped up story stuff from Daredevil and propelled us towards what became the rest of the season. How how standalone is this? Uh, how you know? How soon until we get back to Beth? Well, I gotta wonder too. Why Michigan of all places? Just a place they wanted to tell a story, or is there a larger meaning? And thinking through all the Marvel Netflix we've had at this point. And yes, your defenders, uh, three of them now canceled. Uh, Surely a fourth once Jessica Jones uh, season three airs a little later this year. Uh, Of all of the series, uh, Punisher not within the defenders, um, Frank Castle is clearly the most traveled of any of them. You know, he's gone down to Virginia taking shots at – you know, uh, Mr. Orange, he's he's been all over the place. I think it kind of comes with the character. It's kind of like the, you know, the A-team soldier of fortune down on his luck, constantly nature of him. Um, I know some things. I'm not going to speak to those things, but I'd be interested in why Michigan. What theories do you have cooked up? 
the young lady who we don't have a name for just yet, but of course we know that Georgia Wiggum is playing Amy Bendix, but you know, Frank asked her who she was in this episode. She didn't tell. Surely that's part of the storytelling to come. Um, but what is the arrangement that she had with Pilgrim? There's discussion or with Sergey. There's discussion uh, about Fiona and the others. They were taken out. There's some photographs. There's a laptop that was recovered. You know, what is the the deepening mystery here? Um, and uh, surely we'll get that a little later on. I am just so astonished that this is a story that really has as its skeleton those old detective stories where you know again frank castle is just a guy and now life is intersecting with him uh or this mystery this all this chaos this drama this violence but also we have a story that's now headed in two directions we need to have an evolving understanding of the past and everything that brought us to the backpack the laptop pilgrim etc but also you know the future will unfold as it does so the story moving in two different directions uh, you know, a man who is just a guy trying to sip his beer, buy a beer, one beer at a time, now thrown into all of this. It's it's a stunning place to find this kind of film noir uh, archetype. And anytime Frank finds a modicum of happiness, you know you're on the precipice of that falling apart. So, of course, he goes home with Beth. Of course, he comes clean with the real name and that he did some things and all his scars and everything like that. But I found it most interesting that asked about the family says they were taken from him, obviously doesn't go into the sob story because that's not who Frank is. Um, but it made me question how long has it been now since his family has been murdered? Well, Pete, that's one of the more complex questions when it comes to chronology, because first of all, Pete, I guess we'll address the elephant in the room. Pre-snap, post-snap, who cares right. at this and point? then like, you know, could Frank, all, all the other uh, Netflix Marvel heroes are disappearing. Could he disappear? And then, uh, well, you know, just everybody who was on Marvel Netflix disappeared. Oh, but whatever we do in, in uh, April in uh avengers endgame doesn't bring any of them back they were they were too far gone matt too far <laughs> gone i think that you know as jeff Loeb said at the daredevil panel at new york comic-con or at least as he suggested they're kind of not concerned one way or the other probably because they weren't involved in the decision but um whether it's pre-snap or post-snap or post the fix of the snap you know whatever it is um it's in my mind it's always easiest to pair ourselves to the modern day if there's not an exception to it you know we just got done podcasting runaways that despite a couple of slips here and there can only rightfully be taking place immediately after the first season is there any evidence here that this season of punisher has to be you know right after the 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 last one or that sort of thing not really so you know looks like it's winterish in michigan it's winterish kind of now i'd peg it anytime in the last six months and that uh you know Frank, a.k.a. Pete, has been out there kind of enjoying his quiet freedom on the road for some time, you know, for the last year, that kind of thing. 
yeah, the, the people who were embarrassed and he had to get away. So they weren't further embarrassed. Um, the woman that told Frank, um, that life was, uh, about trying to not be lonely. Was that Karen page? <laughs> it certainly might've been. And something tells me, including social media confirmation, something tells me we'll be seeing Karen page, but I don't think quite yet, Pete. How about this um, uh, idea that um, little Rex's buddy Polly uh, was showing them some things on the computer, and that's how Rex knows when mommy has a kissy-huggy friend <laughs> that they're not playing video games. Uh, all I can say is this is why you need to have your family computer in a centrally located place. This is why... Maybe screen time should not be occurring in the privacy of one's bedroom unless you're comfortable letting your child find some of those uh, little nooks and crannies on the internet, which I dare say old Rex is not quite ready for. So uh, I understand Beth, busy lady, busy mom, tons of credit to her as a single mom, etc. But uh, a little lesson from the fictional MCU out to the rest of us in the real world. From time to time, we talk about the way the story is constructed and whether we need to take it to task or whether it's something that has to be revealed later on to make it clear why it was a story choice. Notice very early on in this episode, Frank is wearing his wedding ring or perhaps it's his wife, right? Was it the wife's wedding band? I think it was meant to be more his wife's. I think that, that inscription suggested it was a gift from him to her. Okay. So he's wearing it around uh a dog tag style chain um and of course matt and the brutality of the fight it comes out and it is a way to know all right who is this frank uh was married to a maria all right you know you only need to go so far and how many really violent franks do we know who can do this all right let's cross out most of them oh it's frank castle but was that a little much in, oh, this is how Pilgrim will know who the loose dog is? I have every assumption that that is exactly how Pilgrim will figure out who it is. And thus, the rest of the season will be will be sent forth. Is it a moment of writerly uh, ink on the page? Yeah, I suspect so. Um, particularly since they worked in totally organically work the ring into the the scene in which Amore was made, um, which I think, you know, in retrospect, it was like, oh man, we got to get this ring in here nice and early. And so people remember it, but then forget about it. So put it in there and back to the steamy stuff. And then later it pays off. All right, writing room. We saw what you did there. You know, fair is fair. Don't do it too often. Why didn't they want the laptop, Matt, in the bag? They want these photos everybody's got use for a good laptop, right? <laughs> Pete, if nothing else, it is a reminder. Let's not turn our nose up at, at, at good technology. It still works. We don't need to run out for the latest this and the latest that. But something tells me uh, financial thriftiness is maybe not first and foremost in the minds of these goons. Um, again, I'll just I'll, I'll repeat myself a bit to say I think that's part of the mystery. It's not just whatever is on the laptop. They want the 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 uh, hard copies um 
I would not rule out the possibility that that could just be a MacGuffin. Um, probably not. Probably it'll be something substantive. But to get the thing, it might be the journey to get the thing and not the value of the thing itself. So time will tell. With that, Pete, let's hit the old mailbag. What are some of our listeners saying about this episode? Well, Matt, on Twitter, you know, with all of the people who have decided they're canceling Daredevil and they've canceled uh, Luke Cage and they've canceled Iron Fist, I can't get excited about Frank Castle and Punisher Season 2. I decided to take matters into my own hands as Frank would take matters into his hands. So uh, somebody had been uh, floating around. They made a picture of uh, of the Punisher with the breaking news headline, Punisher cancels Netflix. Uh, and I told people, "Uh Oh, looks like Frank Castle has taken matters into his own hands. Hashtag Marvel hashtag the Punisher hashtag Punisher. And we got a couple of replies and retweets to that here. Matthew, that's at Heath Hayden, 1982, uh, quote tweeted me and he said, I'm just going to leave this here. Hashtag Punisher. Pete, it was a busy night for geekdom, busy last 24 hours with Star Trek Discovery and Punisher alike. So, Definitely want to remind our listeners we love hearing your comments about The Punisher as we get through the season here. We'll give you contact info in a minute, but feel free at the pace you're watching to be getting us your thoughts. You might be a little bit behind, you might be a little bit ahead, uh, particularly if you identify the episode you're talking about. Uh, we can slot it into the conversation as those uh, as those times arise, Pete. Absolutely, and don't forget our schedule there every Sunday. Wednesday, Friday, coming out with a new episode. So we'll see you for 202 on Sunday, January 20th. Well, Pete, we want to, of course, at the start of this Punisher season, give thanks to all our patrons on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek for keeping gas in our van, metaphorically, uh, letting us get one beer at a time, metaphorically, because, of course, those costs are, it's bandwidth, it's storage, it's supplies, it's Boring stuff like that. It's not going to the old roadhouse bar and enjoying the uh, enjoying the band, but they keep us going, and we uh, we want to say thanks. Everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content, and then there's all sorts of levels. If you want the hangout with Beth level, we don't quite have that, but we'll come up with something close. Indeed, Pete. But always free is being able to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10306. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10306. Followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H- all one word like it today well pete as you mentioned we will be back on sunday talking punisher episode 202 with that i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word we're really good at this huh yeah